Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another week here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Now this week we're going to color outside the lines a little bit. We're going to throw the whole horsemanship thing out the window. The reason I want to diversify our guests is because there are some amazing people in the Western industry. The value doesn't just come from horse trainers or people who focus on horsemanship. And as you've seen from previous guests, there's some amazing lessons learned from folks of all different walks of life. We've had military vets, musicians, pastors. Well, this week we bring you another amazing man of God who happens to be a pretty darn good bullfighter. Mr. Chuck Swisher is our guest this week. Now, throughout this episode, Chuck explains his start in bullfighting, how his faith is ever-growing, and Chuck even passes on a little advice he learned from legendary bull rider Dale Brisby. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Chuck Swisher. Chuck Swisher, how are you doing this morning? Good. How are you, sir? Good, good, good. Well, before we get too deep into anything, I just wanted to take a moment and thank you very much for making time for everybody at Let Freedom Reign and, and your willingness to come on and help some folks. Oh, man, no problem. I'm excited to be on here. Yes, sir. It's been a busy couple of weeks for you the last few weeks, huh? Oh, dude, yeah. We've, uh, I feel like we've been everywhere and we've done everything and uh, finally get to be home for a couple of days. I'll say that's always nice, huh, to lay, lay down on your own pillow in your own bed. Oh, man, it's so good. You know, I love traveling and I love being on the road, but, man, there is no place like home, that's for sure. It's great to get out there and, and, and see the new cities and meet all the people and stuff like that, but there does come a time when it gets old and you need to recharge those batteries and get back to get back to home, you know? Yeah, dude, the exactly. Of it. So you recently, I guess you were at West, West Texas, right, at the fair out yes, there sir. And, and, and Elk City? Yeah, we were uh, in Abilene, Texas this past week, had five perfs there. Uh, the week before that, I actually spoke at a uh, a church bull riding in Thomas, Oklahoma. The week before that, we were in Elk City, then uh, to Sykeston and Idaho Falls, Joseph, Oregon, and everywhere else. Needless to say, you're a little busy. Yeah, yeah, man. It's a uh, it's been a heck of a summer, and thankful for all the rodeos. But I'm really thankful to be home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good break in the action, man. I seen the video. I think it was uh, on Instagram. I saw in Elk City. You were getting ready to put a move on one, and kind of lost your footing there. Made me a little nervous, man. Being that with that knee injury. <laughs> Oh yeah, man. It's a, uh, it's all part of it, man. My, my knees are good. Uh, it was just kind of a, a bad spot in the dirt and I slipped and man, I was thinking, God, I hope he doesn't limp this one off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt, man. I was in, in my mind, I was hoping, man, I hope this Mexican doesn't hook me because all my buddies are going to give me crap about it. Oh was yeah. I, was gonna say. And and I wasn't too worried about being injured or anything. I was just worried about getting made fun of, man. And it's crazy. The athleticism of these animals now, huh? Oh, dude, yeah, they uh, they dang sure keep getting better every year and uh, bigger, faster, and stronger. So, so it was funny. This is uh, oh, last summer I was out at a ranch not too far from us. That's where we kept our horse, and uh, they did a lot of the Mexican rodeo. Yeah, they had brought some cattle into work for the day, and and I was told that Corrientes were on this trailer, 
Well, they get to offload them, and there are Corrientes coming off that trailer, but the last one <laughs> was a little, like, probably 300, 350-pound Mexican fighting bull, man, and this thing was just meaner than snot. Oh, yeah. They couldn't figure out why this Corriente had such a bad attitude. <laughs> man, he was taking on horses. He was taking on everybody. It was kind of entertaining, to say the least. Man, yeah, those things are crazy. They, uh, they dang sure mean business, and that's what they're bred to do, so that's oh, what yeah. they did. No. Like you said, it. You don't have to have them in the arena with the flank on them for them to even be mean, you know, just out in the pasture, wherever. That's they're, that's they're born to they're do born that. To do. So that's what they do. I had seen a yes, documentary sir. of a guy that was breeding them over in Spain. He was out checking calves one day, and there was one that was less than 24 hours old. And it was hurting a little bit and, and kind of balled up in the pasture, and he helped get it on its feet. And less than 24 hours old, it's pawing and sticking its nose in the dirt and trying to take him on. I mean, it's incredible how they're true. They're truly bred, right? It's a genetic, yeah. uh, genetic yeah. predisposition in them. Yeah. That's, that's the biggest misconception of, uh, uh, Mexican fighting bulls and freestyle bullfighting. People think that we torture them, you know, and everything. And we, we, we make a mean, but in the long run, like I said, he, the calf was just born that day and he's, yeah. he's already trying to hook the guy, you know, yeah. and they are hardwired for it, man. It's yep. exciting to yes, watch. Sir. I'll tell you that. Yeah, it is for sure. So good. Before we get too deep into anything today, we talk to folks from all over the Western world, and uh, you're definitely our first bullfighter here on the on the podcast. So if you don't mind, maybe sharing a little bit about your story and your upbringing and, and how you made it to bullfighting and where you are today, and then we'll kind of see where the conversation takes us from there. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I was born and raised in a little town in Oklahoma called Dover. Uh, I think there's probably five or 600 people. You know, I graduated with 20 in my senior class. Uh, grew up from being a baby, you know, here this whole time. And, I uh, started fighting bulls when I was 15. You know, I, I grew up not really being a cowboy at all. Like I was, I was the next Tony Hawk. I would ride my bicycle and my skateboard everywhere. And I love uh, it. I love it. Me and, me and my buddies, we'd stay out all night at the, at the bank at Dover. And that's, that's where our skate park was, you know, cause they had a couple curves or curbs that we would grind on and yeah. whatnot, you know, and we'd just hang out there all night and skateboard and everything and uh being a young kid you know it was funny because my parents wouldn't go to or they would go to church sometimes but it was more or less they they made us kids go to church just because my grandma and my grandpa they went to the dover baptist church for ages you know uh, my grandma actually still goes there probably 50 50 60 years or better and so we would we'd go to church every sunday to make grandma and grandpa happy and make our parents happy and whatnot and uh, 13 years old, they, they do a, a big kids camp, kids conference or whatever it is in, uh, down by Ardmore, Oklahoma called Falls Creek. Uh, got to go down there and man, me being 13, I, thinking back on it, I feel like still at 13, I was still playing in the dirt, you know, being a young kid, didn't yeah. really know what was, what was going on or anything. And, uh, went down there and, and we had a big church one night where there's probably three or 4,000 kids in this, just this huge building they called the Tabernacle. And. Uh, they did an altar call, and I was standing next to one of my buddies, and he actually he walked down and gave his life to the Lord, and uh, he came back up, said, "Chuck, man, you you got to go down there. You gotta, yeah, you, you gotta, gotta get on this, this, dude." Yeah, and I was like, "Man, I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's for me. I'm, like, like I said, I'm 13. I just like hanging out and doing whatever 13 year olds do." And it was funny at, at that moment, I turned and I looked, and there was uh, like a whole row of really good looking teenage girls and me being a 13 year old boy i was like oh yeah i'm gonna it's time to put on a show <laughs> yeah i'm gonna do what i can so 
needless to say, I, I walk down at, at 13 and I, I give my life to the Lord to make my buddy happy and, and try to impress these girls, you know, and go on, uh, started fighting bulls at 15. You know, I, I literally went from van shoes and a flat bill cap to cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. Like within a day, it was funny. Everybody at school, like I showed up one day and I had my big tongued vans on, you know, the big skater yeah. shoes. And then, then the next day I had cowboy boots and it was funny because when I, I thought when you wanted to be a cowboy, you had to dress like a cowboy every single day, like long sleeve, you know, like the Carhartt jacket, the boots, the tucked in shirt, the, the buckle and the, and the whole works, you know? So every day I would show up to school with a long sleeve shirt on tucked in, uh, cowboy pants, cowboy boots. I'd hang my cowboy hat in the locker and started fighting bulls at 15. Uh, I was actually, I wanted to ride bulls because that's what my dad did. But whenever it came down to it, um, like my parents, they bought me everything, you know, they were always so supportive of whatever us kids wanted to do. Always so supportive. And they bought me the bull rope, the, the vest, the helmet, the works, you know, and it was funny because when it came time to me actually getting on one, I was actually too scared to get on one. So there went my bull riding career. I've actually never been on a bull. And I was, I was a freshman in high school. And since my school was so small, you knew everybody and everything about everybody. But there was one guy who was a senior and he was a cowboy too. So I was like, man, if I'm going to be a cowboy, I want to be like him, you know, because being a young kid, you look up to the seniors and sure enough, he, uh, he fought bulls. And so I just kind of, I was like, man, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a bullfighter and I'm going to be a cowboy. And so away we went. Parents took me to a school, a bullfighting school when I was 15. They uh, they taught us the basics, you know. And it was cool growing up because I, I got to, like, be in junior high school. And then I got to fight junior high rodeos, you know. And then, like, I slowly would move up. Like, I'd move up to high school rodeos. And then uh, I'd, like, graduate into high school. And then college rodeos, open rodeos. And then... Uh, got my PRCA card when I was like 21 or 22, I think. And uh, but all those years from from 15 on, uh, we would go. We went down to Texas a lot to work a lot of these futurities and derbies. And uh, there's a, a group of guys there that like I really really looked up to. You know, like the these guys were the the guys, the guys mm-hmm. that I, I wanted to dress like them. You know, I wanted to be like them. I wanted to talk like them. I just wanted to do everything that they did. And uh, I think we might have been in. Fort Worth, Texas, or somewhere, and one of them comes up and says, "Hey, Chuck, you ought to, you ought to try out this camp that we do. We do this bull riding camp out in Maxwell, New Mexico. They call it Riding on Faith." And I was like, "Dude, if you guys are going to be there, I'm all over it, you know, because that's what I want to. I want to hang out with you guys. And what, what else do I want? I want to fight bulls, you know. And so I got to go out to this camp, and this place is phenomenal now, you know, and." Uh, the, the church is a, a round top tent. The pews are little square bells, you know, and it's out in the middle of nowhere. So you have zero service. But whenever I got out there being probably 20, uh, I might've been 22, got out there and, uh, I was like, man, I get to be with my heroes, the guys I want to be. I get to do what I love, which is fight bulls. And I'll, I'll just deal with this church in the meantime, you know, no big deal. Because you remember back, back when I was 13, I was saved for my buddies and yeah, to, for, and, for all the and, wrong reasons kind of yeah yeah exactly so i was like ah, no big deal you know i don't know about all this god stuff you know go, we went to church but it was just like that's all we did we just went to church and, yeah and you're going into this camp tolerating the, the the biblical side of it just so you get the chance to to hang out with your mentors and five bulls 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And man, it, it turns out to be a life changing experience. You know, like God had it set up from from day one. You know, obviously when I was in the womb, and uh, we get out there at church one night, a guy was speaking, and he he did his message, and at the end of it, he said, "If if you die tonight." and you don't wake up tomorrow, do you know where you're going to go? Because there, there is a heaven and then there, and there is a hell and you're going to go to one of those places. There's no, all right, I'm a nice guy. So I'm going to go in between, you know, or I'm a, I've been a nice guy. I'm going to do this or that, you know, there's, you're either going to hell or you're going to heaven. Yeah, it is and or it, it isn't. Yeah. At, at that point in my 22 year old life, you know, I, I truly didn't know where I was going. You know, I was saved at 13, but it, I, it didn't really mean to me. It didn't really mean anything because I didn't do it for the right reason. At that night, I I truly fell to my knees and said, "God, I don't know where I'm going to go. I repented of my sins. I I confessed that Jesus is Lord, and I accepted Him into my heart. And man, so that was that was the night of reckoning, I guess you could say, for my life. You know, the the story changer where everything turned around for me." Uh, I gave my life to the Lord at, at probably 22 years old or so, and it's funny because growing up in a small town, if my mom listens to this, she might still spank me. I'm 28 now, but so you want me to edit that part out or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, growing up in this in this small town, you know, we uh, we used to go party and drink beer. You know, we didn't ever really get off into any drugs or anything like that, but drinking beer was that was a thing, man. I, I drank more beer probably from the age of 16 to 21 than I have from 21 on. Yeah, when you're allowed and, uh, to do so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was funny, too, because, like, I, I wasn't an alcoholic or anything, you know, but, like, for me drinking, I wasn't ever able to go and, like, just hang out with the guys and have a beer, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I didn't I didn't see a point in that. I thought when you drank, you're supposed to drink. Yeah, let's go so, full tilt on this. Yeah, yeah, I would I would do some heavy drinking, you know, like, even through college and everything. And, and then I went to that camp, and I was like, man, if it, – it's funny, too, because – the week before that camp, I actually met and got to hang out or uh, my fiance at this point in time in life right now, she came down to the house like a week before that camp. And that's all we did. It was funny. Like we'd wake up in the morning, walk across the street. We'd go to the store, buy a case of beer and we'd go back to the house and get drunk. And we'd go to the bar that night and get drunker. And then the next week I went to this camp and I was like, holy cow, like if, if I want to live this Christian life, like I'm supposed to, if I, if I want to do what God is wanting me to do, man, that the alcohol and the drinking and the pardon needs to end here. So yeah, you got to uh, turn the page on that story. Yeah. And, and man, it, it literally, it was a huge change. Like I, I, I've taken a drink or here or there, you know, like all my buddies always give me, give me crap about it now because when we, when we go to eat or something, they'll get a beer and I'll just take a drink of it. And that's all I want. Yeah. Like I, I don't sit around and I don't, get drunk anymore i haven't been drunk in since i was 22 so six or seven years now you know yeah. man it was just such a huge change and it, you kind of really it, you weed out your true friends in a way too you could say you know like because we would go party all the time and then whenever i got back from that camp they're like oh let's go to the bar let's get drunk i was like ah no man i'm good i'm good and they're like oh well, here chuck is the religious new chuck you know he he can't go and party and drink and do all that. And I was like, no, I can if I want, but it, yeah, it's choose not, not for, to. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it, it, it's not for me anymore. You know, it's I don't want to live my life like that because you know, trying to be an athlete one, 
going out, staying up all night, drinking. And then what do you do after you get drunk? You go to IHOP and you eat a bunch yeah, of pancakes. 18 you know, pancakes and, and a half a gallon of syrup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it really didn't, for me, like for me personally, it, it didn't make sense, you know. So like obviously there's there's people who can do it and uh, whatever. But for me personally, that's that's just not my scene. And uh, now it's funny because I'll like I'll go to the bar and I'll hang out and stuff, but I'll be the guy who drives everybody home. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll have just, just – this is a good of a time. I'm going to wake up tomorrow, the next day and remember everything that happened the night before and my head's not going to hurt. So, yeah, you know, 13 to 22, I thought I was saved. I thought I was a Christian. I, I uh, really like to drink beer, like to party. <clears throat> 22 years old, I, I was saved, uh, truly saved, really meant at that time, you know, and I've been living my life for the Lord ever since. And uh, I've been fighting bulls. Uh, I was 24 years old. Got the call to go to uh, the Wrangler National Finals. 2015, I uh, missed the finals, but I ended up going to uh, the BFO uh, finals in Las Vegas and ended up winning the, the BFO freestyle in Las Vegas in 2015. 2016, I was hurt. 2017, uh, it took me a little while to kind of get back in the groove of fighting bulls and mentally healthy. And then uh, yeah. <clears throat> here we are in 2018, uh, a couple more weeks, and we're about to finish the season. Uh, proposed to my fiance uh, this past that is awesome, this, man. This past December, just right after Christmas, and uh, congratulations on thank that. Thank you, thank you, sir. But yeah, man, it's been a it's been a heck of a ride, you know, a heck of a journey, and I, I really feel like my story. I mean, everybody's got their own story, and everybody needs to use their story because I, I feel like our stories are what. Uh, connects people, you know, to real life. Absolutely, absolutely. Everything. So and that's one of the things that one of the common themes that obviously we bring up on this podcast is that you know we've all we've all made our mistakes and we've all sinned, and anybody who says they haven't is not being honest with themselves in any way, shape, or form. We've all struggled, but there's thousands of ways to 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 find your way out of it, and it's tough when you're when you're in those valleys, right? Yep. And you're looking up at those peaks, and it seems like the mountain's a lot, lot steeper than it is. But sometimes it just takes one little small change in perspective, and and it can turn your ship 180 degrees. And and I mean, if you look at look back at your story, you know, 13 to 21, you're you're partying and and doing your thing, and and 22 years old, you truly commit to Christianity, and two years after that, you're you're on the biggest stage in rodeo. Yeah. You know, and a year after that, you're winning the bullfighters only there in Las Vegas, and and all the opportunities that, that have come along with it. And, and now you're in a position, you know, where you have a elevated platform, if, you, if you'll describe, you know, is, is in society and rodeo to where you can start reaching some people and making some changes in some other folks' lives. And, and a lot of it goes back to that Writing on Faith camp that you were yep. in. So if you don't mind, let's take some time to talk about the Writing on Faith deal. And you, you kind of introduced it and how you got involved with it. But, but now you play a little bit different role in it. Yeah, so... Uh... Riding on Faith Camp there for probably five or six or seven years, it was just strictly a bull riding school, you know. And uh, I got to go, like I said, when I was 22 or so. And, uh, like, I just went and I just kind of helped fight the, the school, you know, because it, it's a, a bull riding school that they have probably five or six different instructors at and all the way down to, like, calf riding pretty much. And so I was out there, got to help with it. I, I think we helped with it for probably – uh, two or three years where I was actually suiting up fighting bulls at it. And then one day I was like, Hey, we ought to, 
I'm going to look into doing a bullfighting school with it. And they're like, yeah, we'd love to, you know. And the very next year, we ended up having a bullfighting school and got the bullfighting school and the bull riding school both filled up. And, and then I think the year or two after that, they started a bareback and saddle bronc school and started getting it filled up and everything, you know. And like I said, the Vermejo River Ranch is, is run by uh, Danny and Shelly Quateri out in Maxwell, New Mexico. And it's it's one of those places that is like – it's heaven on earth. You know, you show up, it's literally out in the middle of nowhere. You pull down into this valley, right? When you get past the gate, you lose cell phone service. And, uh, so there's no like contact with the outer world you could say. And literally the, the church is their hay barn. So in the winter they stack all their hay in it. In the summer they bring it out and mow the grass around it for uh camp. And, uh, man, it, it's, it's literally, uh, home, you know, it's, it's where I, I've learned, man just really so much stuff about myself about god about uh rodeo about life in general you know just it's just one of those places where you can go and you can be totally raw and uh whatever's going on there's going to be somebody there that can help you out and it's not this huge organization that some people may think it it would be but it's literally uh danny and shelly are the owners and they have two or three other married couples that come in and help us put it on we'll we'll have uh anywhere from like uh two to four hundred people there throughout the week and every every, everybody stays at the ranch you know the kids will stay in tent parents might stay in a camper trailer or a bunkhouse or something like that but it's it's a and i think that's what makes it so great it's a super small deal but uh but that way everybody can connect with each other you know everybody can get on each other's level and really learn if there's I don't know. I feel like if there's a hundred thousand, you know, it's harder to really have that, that family bonding, you know, because out there we can all jump in and sit around a fire and tell stories and hang out. Even at church, you know, as you look out through the, the sanctuary or whatever you would call it and you see everybody that you know, and you can really truly connect and everything. And man, it's, uh, it's actually, uh, a, a life changer. If you, uh, if you ever uh, talk to anybody that's been out there, they'll tell you the same thing. You know, if you go one year after after your first year, we call you a lifer because you go one year, you get sucked in, and it, yeah. it doesn't matter if you're going to the bullfighting school or bull riding school. You just keep coming back. You know, it's not because you want to get better. Obviously, you do want to get better at your craft, but it, it's just like one of those places where, you're like, man, I, I'm going back to camp if I'm fighting or riding or if I'm just hanging out. You know, because that's that's how amazing the place is. It just sucks you in and uh, sucks you into that vortex and you're there. And I think it's great in you describing it, especially in today's society of instant gratification, right? And everybody's got, I call them their electronic leash, right? That cell yeah. phone. And people walk around town and their heads down. Oh, and, yeah. And folks have almost lost the ability to converse with other human beings yeah. in person. You know, everything's text message or email or phone call or whatever. So having the opportunity to go to this camp and not have cell phone service, yeah. right? And and being in close proximity to other like-minded folks, you know, you really build that camaraderie and you build that that sense of family and that's when that's when a lot of powerful stuff really 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 gets going, Man, you know? that, And I think it's it's great that this this camp is founded in faith, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure, dude. And that's that's the the biggest thing for me is what I love, you know, is I, I'm one of those people too that I I'm addicted to my phone, you know, uh you can even even mm-hmm. ask my fiance. She's always on me about how much I'm on it and everything, and which it's it's my own bad. I need to unplug and 
that's what I love about going out there is because like I said, you, you cross through the gate off the top of the road and literally that's, that's the end of cell phone service. It, it, it's super funny because the first day at camp every morning, you see all these kids walking around. They're standing up on the bleachers. They're they're running up the hill. They got their <laughs> trying to find the one spot. Yeah, they got their phone in there. You know, they're waving it back and forth, trying to get like at least one bar to check uh, check their phone. But literally, there there's no service at all. You know, and it, it's so so good that you can go out there and unplug and do that because that way, whenever you're in church or you're in the arena, you're not worried about like what's going on on Facebook or instagram or wow. whatever you know You're truly dedicated yeah. dedicated to your purpose yeah, exactly what time of year is that or, or or folks were interested in you know helping out or helping the cause where can they find more information on uh that? riding on faith camp they have a facebook and uh the the camp is usually the end of may the first of june for the bull riding bullfighting school and then the i want to say the bronc camp kind of depends it, it, some years it's october some years it's november but uh, if you just follow them on Facebook or uh, I think they may have an Instagram, I'm not 100% sure. But And, and I think you can even go to the ridingonfaithcamp.org. I think that's their website. And just mm-hmm. plug in and follow in there, you know. And it's, like I said, it's a life-changing place. And even for the uh, uh, people who don't compete or anything like that, like my, my parents went a year or two ago and they're like, Chuck, we're going back. It doesn't matter if you want us there or not. We're we're coming back, you know. So, oh, shoot, that's awesome. It, it's yeah. it's just one of those places, man. You go, you get sucked in, and you want to come back every year because, like I said, you're a lifer. You get sucked into that vortex, and that's just what you do. So becomes part of you. Yep. Now you obviously you you've done your your ministry there in New Mexico, and you're definitely involved there in your home state of Oklahoma. But you recently had a trip uh, down to I think it was South Africa, correct? Yeah. Yeah, we went to uh, Ireland and then South Africa for uh, like fourteen or fifteen days. So, what was the purpose of that? What was uh, the the program you were involved in? So, funny story with that. Going back uh, to my college days, you know, like I said, we'd we'd party, whatever. I met this girl that pretty much became our babysitter at college. You know, she would cook, she would help a lot with her homework, uh, she would take care of us, and. Uh, 2016 in August, I tear my ACL in my knee, so I have to get uh, surgery on it. So I'm out for four months. I literally go from running around the world to sitting on a stationary bike, riding for hours a day. And she calls me one day. She says, "Hey Chuck, uh, heard you're hurt, and just reaching out, you know, see how you're doing, blah blah blah. I've got a book that I'll send you if you think you'll read it." And I was like, "Well, yeah, you know, because I literally went from uh, running." to sitting there working out, you know, like I couldn't do anything else besides ride a bike and read. So I'm like, yeah, you know, might as well be reading while I'm riding this bike. And she sent me this book called Cave Time. So I read it and Cave Time talks about uh, how David, after slaying Goliath, he he ran off and to the cave, you know, like he, he was on this high mountain, you know, did all this awesome stuff. And then like he got down in the valley and how David have to go had to go to the cave to uh, kind of plug back into God, you know, so he could rebuild and, and come back out stronger. And, uh, that's what this book talked about. And, uh, so I read the book and, uh, there's a, a couple guys in Tulsa. The, the actual guy who wrote the book is a pastor of church 3434 named, uh, Dr. Jeff Voth, pastor Jeff Voth, whatever. He's a, he's a phenomenal guy. He's got, uh, three sons and they're all about my age. So I, I actually reached out to one of his sons on Instagram and 
just said, Hey man, got your dad's book, read it, love it, blah, blah, blah. And we slowly, slowly started building our, our relationship that way. And then, uh, he's like, Hey man, you know, we'd love to come down and see you and hang out. And so I lived two hours from Tulsa and Dover, but I was in, uh, Houston, Texas at the rodeo. They're like, Hey man, you know, uh, we'd sure like to see you one of these days. I was like, yeah, and just messing around, not really thinking of it. You know, I was like, Hey, you guys should just come down to Tulsa or come down to Houston. I was like, all right, they're obviously going to say no, you know, no big deal. They don't want to drive yeah. nine hours. It's kind of the courtesy offer. Yeah. And he's like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, man, whatever, you know, that'd be fun, blah, blah. And sure enough, he, uh, he calls and says, Hey man, me and my, me and my brother and my buddy are coming this weekend. I was like, all right, never met these guys before, you know, besides social media and read their, yeah. read their dad's book. And, uh, they come down to Houston and uh, stay in my travel trailer with me there at Houston. They were there for three or four days. And literally, like, the instant they got in there, man, I knew, like, I knew, like, our goal on this earth was this, was the same, you know, like, to further the kingdom of God. And, uh, like, it, it was just such a such an immediate bond that these guys became my pretty much my best friends right off the bat, you know. And yeah. after that, uh, I got to come back home and went up to Tulsa a couple times, you know, back and forth. And uh, this past year, it might have been the— at the at Houston again or somewhere around there, they said, "Hey, you know, we're going to South Africa." And I don't know if it was one of those courteous, being nice, like let's invite Chuck just because we want to be nice, yeah. or what. But <clears throat> they invited us to Houston. Why don't we invite him to yeah, South Africa? Yeah, they said, "Hey, we're going to we're going to Ireland <laughs> and South Africa. We'd love for you to go." Yeah. And I I took it as like a legit offer. So I'm like, "Tell me when and where." And oh, man. I, I called the head guy or the the CEO of Cave Time, I guess, and he's he uh, run me through the the tickets and everything, how to book them, which ones to get. And sure enough, man, we, uh, we got to go to Ireland and South Africa. Seriously, the, one of the greatest times of my life. You know, uh, we, we travel all year rodeoing through the States and, and my fiance is actually from Canada. So I'm back and forth into Canada and stuff, but, uh, like getting to like literally fly over the pond to somewhere completely different, man, it was, it was so life changing. So so life. Yeah, it's different because rodeos, rodeos. You know, it's it's almost work in a sense. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's not like you're going on vacation every time you're out on a weekend. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, five six performances at a time. Whereas going over to Ireland and and going to South Africa, yeah, it's it's new. It's it's exhilarating. It's a it's a chance at a ministry too. You yeah, know? for sure, dude. And and like I said, we we went to Ireland for four or five days, and uh, it it wasn't uh, pray tell a, a missions trip. Like a mission, like mm-hmm. we weren't missionaries going and building houses, you know, and helping the poor people. It was more of doing the humanitarian side. Yeah, of it, yeah. like we uh, we went to Ireland for like a strategic meeting, you know, because they're they're actually going back to Ireland in November, first of November, and like we we just went and helped set up for the meetings there coming in November, and then when we got to uh, South Africa, we did we spoke at I think we were there for ten days, and I think we spoke about like. 16 or 20 different churches and events and everything and man seriously just to, just to see god move so much in in those few weeks that we got to be gone and in the, the friendships that we made and and to realize that there's people on the other side of the world fighting the same battles that we're fighting here you know and it, it, it's so cool it puts everything back into perspective to where you're like Dang, you know, I'm I'm not the only one doing this. I'm I'm not the only one going through this struggle. I'm not the only one trying to achieve this goal, trying to see this through, you know. And 
it's crazy to think about think about your faith, right? And it's especially in the world today, right? With with, with what popular media and the news puts yeah. out, it seems like there's hardly any good left anyway. Oh man, for sure. You know, and you fight as hard as you can with your faith, and and I tell people all the time in talking with them, I I, I don't jam Christianity down anybody's throat, right? I try to educate them best yeah. I can, and I use the analogy that I open the door for yeah. them. It's it's up to them to walk through yeah. it. But what a profound moment or a uh, encouraging moment to be thousands of miles away from where you fight that fight every single day, and you find people of like mind that are that are as passionate and motivated as you are as far as being part of God's God's plan and God's mission. I mean, it's powerful, powerful. Moment. Yeah, dude, totally, totally. And man, we we got over there, and like I said, we weren't in the in the poor towns or or uh, or I guess it, it obviously is a third world country, but we weren't like sleeping in a hut you know it was like we, we stayed in houses and stuff like that but uh the people there they they really didn't have a lot like even the the guys that we hung out with you know they had good jobs whatever but they weren't i, I guess it you could say like americans you know you look around and everybody's got iphones and everybody's got cars and, yeah and rims rims yeah. on their cars and houses and boats and whatever here but you get over there and not very many of them have much stuff but the the coolest thing that I seen was, man, they don't have much, but they give so much more than we give. You know, here, like we're like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna tithe, we're gonna give the homeless guy five dollars, and then we're gonna feel good about it for the rest of the week. You know, dude, <laughs> yeah. uh, brag to everybody on social yeah. media how uh, generous. Yeah, they are. exactly. And over there, man, literally, they they wake up in the morning and they go to bed at night giving to people. Like they they may not have money to give. But they've got time. They've got love. They've they give in in every every other way that we don't give that we should give, you know. But they truly, truly, truly are amazing people, man. We like I said, we met so many awesome people, and it's it was so inspiring to go over there and then come back. Like now, I'm like, all right, well, shoot. If this is how they're doing it, uh, this is what God wants. It, it's time for us to kind of step up our game here a little bit, you know, and. And not just give our money, but give our time and give our love and and, and be a person of, of Christ, you know. And it, it was just life-changing for sure. And it turns out the guys that I went with, Cave Time, the men's ministry, you know, uh, there was only four of us that went. So it was, it was one of those trips, too, where it was like, like we're all so close. We're all so tight. We're sleeping pretty close to each other every night, you know. So, like, it, it's such a big bonding trip. So whenever— the four of us got back here. It's like just this big flame ball of the four of us, you know, and we're out spreading it, everything, and super, super it's awesome. Encouraging, man. It's a, what a great opportunity. I had a. Uh, this was after college. I had played with an organization in Arizona for a little bit. They had signed a guy from South Africa, just outside of Johannesburg, and that was the one thing that I remember about him. Man, he was full of so much life. Yeah, you know, and here was the American ball players and complaining about not enough food on the oh, table yeah. or how come the food's late to, to dinner? Or, you know, the stretching coach ain't doing the, doing his job stretching. Yeah. Us yeah, or yeah. Yeah. Why do we got to be the yard? So we're like stuff that is very, very insignificant, you know? And, and Ashley Scott was this guy's name. I mean, he was just, he was so excited about everything, right? The opportunity to be in the United States, the opportunity to play American baseball. And we had a lot of great talks about his upbringing and we were together with that organization for a few months, and then we obviously went our separate ways, and I haven't been able to, to rekindle with him since. But 
I just remember him just being an extremely grateful personality. Yeah, dude. It was awesome. For sure. And it, it was funny. They, they actually explained it good over there. They said, when, when you go to America, like when you go to somebody's house, like the, the people who own the house will be like, all right, well, here's the bathroom if you need something. And then here's the living room where if you're not in the bathroom, this is where you'll be, you know. And, and mm-hmm. in South Africa, like when you go to their house or their, their braai is what their barbecue is called, uh, they literally come like they bring you into the house. We're like, all right, here's my room. Here's my bed. If you want to lay down, you can lay down. Here's my bathroom. They open every door in their house, you know, and truly like say, hey, this is this is my house, but this is also your house. So if you want to lay down in my bed, you can. You can do whatever, you know. And and that was just like such an eye opener too, you know. Like back home, we're like, oh yeah, here's food, and this is where you're sitting. If you need to go to the bathroom, there's a bathroom, but. But over there, dude, it's literally they just the doors blow open and whatever you need, they'll give it to you and takes giving to a whole new level. And and, and two, it was cool because we, we actually got to go out to the lake with a couple of guys or this big pond, I guess you could say, with a couple of the college kids and uh we had a had a bri uh South African barbecue and uh they they say whenever they cook, like they'll instead of everybody just grabbing a burger, you know, and or like one person to go up grab a burger, like somebody will go up and grab like a quarter of the burger and they'll just eat the quarter of the burger. That way everybody can be eaten at the same time instead of one person eat, eating their meal and then they're, then they're done. Then somebody else goes up, you know, that way everybody gets to eat, you know, and even sometimes if you don't get full, at least, at least you got some stuff instead of Joe over here who ate, ate the whole steak by himself. You know, they, yeah, I was gonna say you got Joe putting French fries in his pocket after he filled up the yeah, plate. Yeah, so everybody everybody <laughs> gets to eat, everybody shares everything, man. It's it's great. It was great for sure. It is a blessing to travel internationally because you you do get that change of perspective, you know. And I've been to a few third world countries and it almost makes you feel guilty seeing how grateful people oh, are. Oh man, yeah. And and have such little to wake up to i mean they're literally living in dirt huts nobody has a vehicle nobody has any way around there's no cell phone service all the stuff that we take for granted when people go down to starbucks and their ten dollar coffee comes out too hot now it's gonna be the end of the world yeah dude exactly and that's what we actually we drove through one of the the shanty towns and uh like where the the houses or whatever they're literally made out of scrap tin that they find on the side of the road and whatever else they could put up you know to block some of the rain and it it literally looked like driving through a neighborhood in uh, Oklahoma. You know, they were kids were running and playing. Everybody's having a great time, you know, and they're not sitting over there pouting because they're they're extremely poor or whatever. You know, they're they're living their lives because they're they're thankful for what they've got. Even even though like what they have may not be anything compared to what we have, they're yeah they're way more thankful than what what we have. Yeah. Way more than incredible, man. Yeah. What an awesome opportunity, especially at such a young age, you know? Yeah, dude. So good. Uh, man, it, it kind of stinks because I, I overlapped the Ireland trip with the, how awesome South Africa was. But, dude, Ireland was just as amazing. You know, we, uh, we, we got to go to Dublin and Belfast and, and speak with some of the pastors and stuff there. And there's one pastor, uh, I can't remember his name, but his church is literally in a boxing ring on Sunday mornings. So Saturday nights, they, they have boxing matches. Sunday mornings, they pull the ropes down, and they, they rent the boxing ring to the church. And the pastor is literally stepping in blood as he's speaking 
during church on Sunday mornings, man. And, and we got that is incredible, dude, we got to go in there and literally like I walk in and I was so fired up, man. It was so cool. And like blood stains on the mat and the pastors in there, dude. And it's <laughs> just man, getting after it. Oh dude, it was, it was so awesome. One of the, like, I, I want to go back just to attend church there just because, just, yeah, I was gonna say just for the church. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who has church in a boxing ring? You know, it's, it's crazy. But that, that's impressive. That, that that just shows the heart of that pastor and the churches around there. You know, like they're they're going to go and do any means necessary, uh, besides sin, obviously, to to reach the people and shoot. You know, you, you never know. There's there's so many more people that can be affected by a boxing ring church than a regular church. And that's the thing too is that churches, in my definition or the perspective I look at it, right? Church is a community. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Church is a living thing. Church yeah. is not a physical place, yeah. you know, and oftentimes people get that construed with with how church is traditionally here, right? You have your your place of worship, but I mean, you could set up shop anywhere and get out oh, there, you know, yeah. and, and, and get in the good book and, and great things can come from it. It doesn't have to be in these huge elaborate temples per se, you know? Yeah, yep, exactly, man. Exactly. And and that's the thing, you know, you could tell somebody over there, hey, we're having church, like, oh no, I don't want to go to the cathedral. And after wear a suit and tie, we're like, no, your church is in a boxing ring, dude. And they're like, what? A yeah. boxing ring, you know? So it, what do you mean a boxing ring? And so they're like, oh, you know, maybe we'll try it. So, yeah, dude. It is, and, and just like you said, and that's uh, kind of changing the subject now. That That's how I feel like my my life is changing because, like, I was all these years, I was a bullfighter, you know, and that's all I needed to do all I wanted to do. And now I feel like God's saying, all right, since I, I've given you such a platform, now it's time to start changing it up. You know, so yeah. now I, I'm trying to use my platform to to further God in the, obviously in the arena and outside of the arena and everywhere that I go. So, No, I wanted to bring that up and, and I'm glad you kind of led into it. And we talked before going live here, before starting to record that you know, if people wanted to know who Chuck Swisher the bullfighter is, Google it, right? Yeah. There's hundreds of hours of video, right? Yeah. Of you fighting bulls and doing your thing. But what I think was most commendable about you in, in, in previous interviews is that you identify yourself as a Christian. Yes, sir. Who has the opportunity to fight bulls. Yep. You know? And, yeah. And, and a Christian is who you are, and, and bullfighting is kind of what you do. So let's let's talk about. I mean, what's in the future for you and your 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 ministry efforts or, or your goals in that that side of it? Yeah. So uh, recently, in the, in the past year or two, uh, I've actually had a, a couple churches in, in different cities or different towns that I'm at. They the pastors will reach out and say, "Hey, you know, uh, we'd love to hear you come speak." And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to be there this weekend for the rodeo or or uh, this time of year for the rodeo. You know, how about uh, you guys come to the rodeo, hang out, and then Sunday mornings I'll come to the church and speak and uh, make it all work. And man, I, I've had the opportunity to speak at some really, really awesome places, like fantastic, fantastic places, you know. And it, it's so cool because, like I said, I, I loved the fight bulls and I, I love being a bullfighter, but that's that's not who I am, you know. I first first I'm a Christian, and, and then uh, I'm a Christian that just so happens to get to fight bulls, you know? So now God is saying, all right, Chuck, you know, you've had these years for you. Now it's time to have these years for me. And, uh, I, I truly feel a transition. And he's not telling me to retire from fighting bulls or anything, but he's, he's telling me, all right, it's time to, time to just step out of the arena and just do more than fight bulls. So, 
you know, it, it's cool to get to go to these towns and where I know like a year in advance that I'm all right, I'm speaking at this place and or even the the bull riding that I got to speak at a few weeks ago there in Thomas, Oklahoma. Like they, they buck probably fifteen or twenty bulls, uh, and then they're like, All right, here's your speaker and I I literally rode out on a horse, I'm standing in the middle of the arena and the grandstands are all around me and I I, I gave him the words, you know, and got to speak at uh cowboy church at, at San Antonio rodeo one year. And uh, that might've been one of, well, it wasn't the first place, but one of the first places I got to speak. And it was funny because like whenever I speak, I'm always sitting in the front row, you know, so I don't have to go through the crowd to get up to the front and I'm sitting up front and my back's to the rest of the crowd. And, uh, mm-hmm. they do their worship and they go to announce me and I step up there and I turn around and I look and I was like, holy cow, there's probably 900 people in this small room. And I was like, whoa, you know, like there, I was just saying that's, that's pretty big venue to just kind of get yeah, started. I was like, in. there's no backing out now, you know? And, uh, yeah. And so dude, I, I let him have it, gave him the meat and, uh, it, I guess my, my speaking kind of all come about one time where a, the pastor at the Dover Baptist church like where I kind of grew up going to, he, he called and said, Hey Chuck, you know, you're from Dover, a town of 600. So everybody knows you. Uh, we'd love for you to come in and tell your testimony. So I got to go in one Sunday and uh, speak and give my testimony. And it's funny because I went to Texas a few days after that. And I was talking to a, another a buddy who I, who's, I look up to in, uh, in Christ, you could say. And I was like, man, you know, I, it was awesome to get to do that. But I, I feel like I really didn't like give it, my all like i feel like i didn't do that good you know and he's like man if if you were there i'm sure somebody heard the good word and i was like man i would love to have the opportunity to do it again this is me talking to my buddy in texas and i i swear to you three days later the pastor at the church that i just spoke at calls me again says hey chuck uh we're wondering if if you could come back like in a sun in a sunday or two and speak and i was like no way i was like dude i would love to and he's like Oh, oh, but the thing is, uh, it's not just going to be a 10 minute testimony. Like he's like, I'm not going to be there on Sunday. So I need somebody to literally deliver the entire message. I was like, yeah. And and to me, whenever things like that come up, I kind of get nervous about them and everything. And I'm like, all right, you know, if I say, let me think about it, I'm going to end up saying no, because I sit there and I, I tell myself that I can't do it or I shouldn't do it, whatever. But I'm like, yeah, put me down, you know, we're doing this. And men got to, uh, like, I, I tried to blow it up on Facebook as much as I can in the small town. And, man, literally, it was a, it was a packed house. There's probably 50 or 60 people in there, you know. But seriously, it was it was one of those deals where I, I gave it my heart. I gave it all, gave it everything I had, you know. And it was so awesome to uh, to be able to do something like that into my hometown, my in my grandma's church. And, uh, dude, it was, it was great, you know, and then slowly, but surely like more churches would call. I got to go to another church down in San Antonio, a church in Woodward, Oklahoma, and, uh, a bunch of different places and do all this speaking and stuff. And, uh, it's been, been so huge. And back when, in 2016, whenever I, I got hurt and I was, I was home for four months, you know, usually I'm not home that long. And, uh, it's like, man, if, if I'm going to do this Christian thing, I need to, I need to find a good church and get plugged in and no, nothing against the Dover Baptist church. It's a great church. But for me, I, I really didn't feel like it was for me because I, I feel like I obviously I'm a different generation than what that church is. And, uh, not, not saying anything bad about the church. Like I said, it's a great church. My grandma still goes there, love it to death. But, uh, there's 
uh, a church in Kingfisher, which is just eight miles from the house, and they just uh, opened up a, a new building, you know, they, or they just moved to a new building and called Lifeway of Kingfisher. And so I was like, I'll try it, you know. And sure enough, man, I, I walk in there and uh, always – always try to make myself sit in the front row because I, I feel like if you're sitting at the front, you're going to hear the message first before the people behind you. So I always want to hear it first. And that's a good mentality. Yeah. And, uh, so I started going there and, uh, slowly built a relationship with the pastor and his wife, uh, pastor Terry Payne and pastor Tony Payne. And then, uh, pastor Terry's son is about my age. And he actually owns the gym in Kingfisher, and his son's always there every week, you know, at church. And slowly built a relationship with him, and and now that's that's my home is the Lifeway Church of Kingfisher. You know, that's that's where I go every time I'm in town. You know, and uh, it, it's funny because they have a have a cafe there, and I, I've got so many good friends that work at the church now that I, I'm if I'm not at the cafe, if I'm not a, at at church going to church, I'm usually. Just just there hanging out with my friends, you know, and doing whatever and built such a, such a good relationship with everybody there. And man, it's now it, now it sucks leaving to go rodeo because I'm like, Oh man, these are my friends. And these are the people that I want to be around because they, uh, they push me to do better, push me to be better. And, and they're super, super great people, you know? And uh, so, yeah, dude, that's, that's my, uh, that's my home now is Lifeway. That's awesome. So when you first started doing some of this preaching stuff, obviously giving your testimony, it is what it is, right? It's your life and it's a 10, you know, 15 minute minute blurb on it. But now that you're starting to stretch things out a little bit and having these longer services or running an entire service, like how do you put together your messages? How do you put together your material? How does, how does it come to you? You know, for the most part, for me, I, I really don't know how many other pastors do it, but, uh, for me, it's just one of those deals where if I get a call or whatever, someone asks me to come speak, you know, and I agree to it, I sit down a couple of weeks in advance and I start praying. I said, "All right, God, you know, like I'm going to uh, I'm going to Woodward this weekend, you know, so I need a message, and and then I'll, I'll read, I'll pray, I'll read, I'll pray, and sure enough, like a Bible verse will pop up, and then I'll slowly start writing it down, writing it down, and then I'll. I'll like add into like add into the the sermon for my life, you know, like, oh, this is what happened to me here, the same verse type of thing, you know, and, and slowly I'll start putting it together, you know, and then uh man, sure enough, God is God has yet to fail me. It it was funny that this week or two ago I I was more nervous speaking at Thomas than I have been anywhere else just because I was like, Man, I don't know. For so many years I, I put it off because they, they've asked me to speak and I was like, man, I don't know about it because it's going to be hard keeping everybody's attention because they're literally they're in a rodeo arena, a rodeo setting. So everything's wide open. You know, there's not walls around them. Uh, you can be on your phones. You can be running around. You can do what you want. I'm like, it's going to be hard for me to keep their attention. Keep them engaged. Yeah. Yeah. Keep them engaged without me being boring or me stuttering or something crazy like that. I was like, God, you got to help me out here. And it was it was hilarious because. Uh, I, I got on a buddy's horse and the week before I had my buddy from Tulsa, Caleb come down and he helped us actually do some cowboying. And Caleb's a city boy, like big time city boy, like doesn't ride horses, doesn't do anything really like that at all. He loves to, but he doesn't know what he's doing. And he, he rode this horse that I was riding in Thomas and him and this horse got along great. They literally sat there. They were still all day when they needed to be. They did what they needed to do. 
And I got on this horse at Thomas, rode into the arena, and this horse, it might have been my fault too because I was so nervous. This horse would not stand still, and I had – Probably squeezing up on it a little bit. Yeah, I, I had all of my notes on my phone, and sure enough, I ha- had a, had the microphone in the other hand, so I couldn't get my phone out of my pocket, hold the reins, and hold the microphone all at the same time. So I'm like, all right, God. Here this, we go. Yeah, I said, Holy Spirit, you, you better – you better show up and uh <laughs> man it, it just come down to where like i was prepared uh spiritually to uh to deliver whatever god put on my heart at that moment you know and it, it's one of those things too where you, you have to be willing to you have to be prepared when like with the message you know you need a you need a sermon uh ready to go but also you have to be willing to uh step off the page turn the turn the paper over and listen to what god is telling you to say and everything yeah. so for me man it, it's it's just a lot of praying a lot of reading uh getting into the word and like writing down what i think will be good and, and man it, it never fails it, it seems like every time god will uh kind of cut in and say hey how, how about you talk about this you know or how about you say this you and it and it always works too you know you're like oh no god i i, I don't want to say that here though they won't like me at this cowboy church if I say that. And sure enough, a- afterwards there'll be people who come up and be like, "Oh, Chuck, I- I'm so glad you you spoke on that because that that's what I've been going through, or I needed to hear exactly that." And I was like, "Well, that wasn't me, so don't yeah, say, <laughs> don't give me any credit for it." I- I've done a fair fair amount of teaching and public speaking, and it's always come fairly natural to me. And that's kind of the way that I prepare is I, I prepare for concepts rather than prepare a script, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I've always been fascinated with the preaching side of it because, I mean, you can tell when, when somebody gets on a roll, right? And there's a lot more emotion, a lot more fire to it versus kind of a sales pitch with some of them them scripted services. And I was just wondering, never had the chance really to, to talk to anybody about it, about, you know, how do you prepare? Because it's a lot of material. And, you know, when you're talking with your buddies or you're selling a concept with your buddies or you're going over scripture with your buddies, of course, they're going to be supportive to some degree, right? Because you yeah, guys, yep. either your views aligns or they're, they're your buddies. They'll maybe be a little bit more gentler in their criticism. But when you're setting up with, you know, 900 people, man, I could I could see where it gets a little nerve wracking because you don't know that everybody else is going to buy into how you how you think or, or what you think is important coming out yeah. of it or your interpretation of it, you know? Yep, exactly, man, exactly. And that's that's where it's it's not so much shooting from the hip, but it's just shooting from the Holy Spirit. You know, you just got to, you got to really just, yeah, shooting from the heart. Yeah, you really just got to tune in and do what God says. And uh, at, at the end of the day, you know, being a, I'm not a pastor, but being a pastor, I, I feel like you, you're not going to be able to make everybody happy. You know, you're you're not there to rub, you're not there to rub everybody's back. And and my pastor, he he says almost uh, every time I, I get to hear him, he, he's talking about, you know, this is going to hurt somebody's feelings. But at the end of the day, I'm not here to pat you guys on the back like i'm here to tell you the truth and i'm here to tell you what god is saying you know and and sure enough man uh it it may suck to be like get called out by your pastor you know my my pastor wouldn't say hey chuck you're you're doing this wrong you know in front of everybody but like he may say god's saying that that somebody might be doing this or something like that that he won't say any names or anything like that and then afterwards you're like oh wow that sucked like i I could like i know he was talking about me even though he didn't say my name Mm -hmm. But yeah. like in the long run, I'm like, dang, man, I, Pastor Terry, I'm glad you said that. I, I'm glad that God told you to say that or whatever, because that's that's what I needed to hear to, 
like take the next step or step down from whatever's going on, you know. And I was just gonna say that, man. That's that's where growth comes, right? Yeah. Is is those uncomfortable situations, and oftentimes we as human beings we get in our own way, right? We're too scared to step off in faith, or we're too scared to take on that challenge. But that challenge is exactly what we need to do to break a mold and 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 take it to the next level. Exactly. You know, whether it's faith or athletic performance or or whatever yep. it may be. Yep, exactly, man. That's the truth. That's good stuff. So let's. I want to touch just real quick on. So 2014, you fight at the NFR. 2015, you win the BFO there in Vegas, and then 2016, you have a little bit of a setback with this, with this knee injury. Yes, sir. If you don't mind, kind of sharing, you know, you're on your way up in your career, and you kind of have a little bit of a setback. Do you mind sharing how you kind of overcame the the adversities of that challenge? Yeah, so uh, 16 in uh, Sykeston, Missouri, uh, August, I guess, I tore my ACL, had to get surgery on. It's actually the first surgery I've, I've actually really ever had, knock me out, do surgery, whatever, and I'm out for four months, literally going from running running the world to uh, having to sit on the couch, not be on the move very much, and man, it uh, it, it took so much rehab and, and so much, so much working out to, to get it physically back in shape. And, and then, then I felt like it was funny because I'd go see my physical therapist or go see the doctor and they're like, Chuck, your, your knees, like whenever I, I finally did the four months after like, yeah, you're good to go, you know? And I'm like, man, I don't know if, if I am. And they're like, Chuck, your, your knees a hundred percent. Now the, the thing you have to deal with is your head. Because yeah. because your head's gonna work against you the entire time saying that, Oh, you're not healed or oh it's gonna it's gonna tear again or oh the doctor didn't do a good enough job. But my, my doctor literally said he, he said, Chuck, I, I can physically do anything I can to tear your ACL, but it's not gonna happen. He said it, it's it's hundred percent. Now it's getting your head back into the game to where your head tells you that you're all right, you know, and it, and it, it did take me a good little while to finally beat my head to where I could tell myself that, that I'm fine. You know, it, it took me a handful of different rodeos and maybe even half the year or better to, uh, to, to truly come back. You know, like I said, I was healthy physically, but I, I mentally I wasn't. And that was one of those things too, where it was like, golly, you know, like my leg feels good, but my head's saying that I can't and this and that. And, and, and that come back to, uh, back to my face, man. It, uh, I feel like any Christian that whenever they get pushed or they get squeezed, we need to have, have Jesus come out of us. And that was the thing, you know, I, I was going to church and I was like, like they, at the end of the service, you know, they'd ask for, or ask people if they needed prayer for anything. So I'd walk up and be like, Hey man, you know, they say my knee's good, but my head's not. And so I need prayer about overcoming, overcoming my, my, my own self, I guess, you know? And so it took prayer, took, uh, took a lot of work. And it was just one of those things where, Man, you know, we're all going to go through injuries in the rodeo or any athlete, you know, but it it's one of those things where you just truly have to bounce back. You truly have to beat yourself, beat beat your head to tell you that, hey, you know, if the doctor says I'm all right, if obviously I can look down and see that I'm all right and I feel all right, that you just got to get it out of your head, uh, go with it, just do what you do. And uh, like I said, it, it took me a while, but at the end of the day, it, it finally – I finally overcame came that, you know, I, I feel like it was like the God and, and the devil on your shoulders, you know, like one was saying, Oh, you're good. And the devil's barking, Oh, you're not, you know, and whatever. And, 
and I was listening more to the devil say that I, I'm not healed when I am because, because I was, you know, and, but shoot it, it took a while, but we, uh, we got her back going and healthy and man, to, even to this day, it feels really good and every, everything is going smooth. So it's great to hear, man. And, and it's, it's tough. And it's been one of my biggest struggles in my journey is, is faith is a very, very, very simple concept, very simple concept. Yeah. However, in execution, I mean, it is hard oh, to truly, truly, truly have good, true faith because we as human beings oftentimes, man, we want to be in control and especially people that that are successful, yeah. right? Yep. Whether it be sports, business, whatever their endeavor is. It's funny because I was just having a conversation with a good friend of mine this morning and we were talking about weight training and, and pushing yourself physically with PT and stuff like that. And I said, I wonder how far we could really go if we didn't quit on ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things. You get pushed to a point of being uncomfortable. And mentally, for whatever reason, you realize, man, comfort comfort is going to feel way better than whatever goal I'm chasing to achieve. You know, yep. let's say it's burpees. You want to do 100 burpees in a row, right? Yeah. You get to 67 burpees and realize, man, stopping is going to feel way better than than the fact of achieving 100, 100 burpees, you know? And, yeah, exactly. And oftentimes we've had a few guests. I had a uh, Sandy Rebar was on our show, and she had a she's a rain cow horse uh, lady, and she had a pretty bad wreck where she broke her humerus and came off of a horse, and that was her thing. She's like, physically, I re I recovered quicker and better than than before my wreck. Yeah, but that that struggle between the ears oftentimes is is the biggest challenge. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And, and and that's what, even in uh, South Africa, we got to go work out at a guy's place. And he, he said, when you get to the point where you feel like you're going to puke, you still have 50 more percent that you can push, you know, because like working out, like if you're working out so hard, you get to the point where you're like, I'm going to barf, you know, Oh yeah. like if, if you think about it, like you still can go harder and you still can go faster. You still can go more. It's just, it's just telling your head that, hey, we're good. Yeah, I can do this. I can go harder. I can go faster. I can go further. I can do more. And like Dale Brisby always says, you know, rodeo is 90, 90% mental and the rest is in your head. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. Ain't that the truth? And, and, and that's just in life in general. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough challenge. That's, that's for sure. Yes, sir. Um, so we're kind of wrapping things up here and, and, uh, I kind of give every guest the opportunity to to share any parting words or kind of explain to folks where to find you or where to support you. So if, if you want to kind of touch on social media or websites or any, any any institutions you're involved with, and then any parting messages. Yeah, so uh, I guess if you want to follow follow along, everybody has an iPhone these days, so uh, you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. My username is cswish116. Follow Riding on Faith Camp. Try to get involved there however you can. Great, great organization. So is Cave Time in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Follow them. They have Instagram, Facebook as well. And uh, I guess my parting message would be if if you're ever struggling, ever need, uh, feel like you're not enough or feel like uh, no one loves you, always remember, man, there's, there's somebody out there that does love you. You may not be able to see him, but he does love you. He is the creator of the heavens, the creator of the earth, and that is – that is Jesus. That is God, and you're you're never too far away. Some people may think, "Oh, I'm I'm too old to to give my life to the Lord," or "Oh, I've sinned too much to 
to be saved. No, you're not. You're you're never too far away. You, you can never do too much bad to not receive God's forgiveness. So uh, don't ever don't ever count yourself out thinking you've gone too far because God is a forgiving God. He's a loving God, and uh, He loves you guys. That's awesome, man. Chuck, I got to thank you very much for coming on the show and, and making time for us, and God bless you and all your help and effort and helping others. Hey, man, thanks for having me. I sure appreciate everything. All right, brother. Maybe we'll uh, have you back on here in a few. Yeah. We'll talk to you later. Later. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.